There's an unexplained difference of, of that 20 cents. There's an unexplained difference of approximately 13 cents per liter in those prices. So the met prices in the Metro Vancouver area are higher by an unexplained 13 cents a liter. That is BC Utilities Commission CEO David Morton. He was speaking yesterday, and that one part of a very lengthy news conference, I think, is what a lot of people are hung up on, wondering why are we paying this unexplained 13 cents. So let's bring in Mike Smith, province columnist, also host here. He was filling in for Simi Sarah all this past week. Mike, good to chat with you again. Hi, good morning, Jill. Uh, what do you take uh, or what do you make of uh, this uh, from all that was released yesterday, this idea that, uh, yes, there's a 13 cents, 13 cents that's we can't explain why, but we're paying it. Yeah, really interesting report. And um, the NDP have certainly seized on it. Remember that John Horgan had said that we are getting gouged at the gas pump, that the reason we're paying the highest gas prices in North America is not because of any taxes that he's imposed on gas, which taxes in B.C. are also the highest in North America on gasoline. He said it's because of these greedy oil companies shaking us down and ripping us off and gouging us at the gas pump. And I think the NDP were, this government was very pleased with this report to see that this conclusion about this unexplained 13 cent a liter markup that we're all paying here also, a very significant number that jumped out at me there, Jill, was he said that this is costing the BC economy nearly half a billion dollars a year. So that's pretty big. And I guess it's, you know, the, the government's spinning it that this justifies what Horgan had said from the start. So you had Bruce Ralston, the jobs minister, yesterday saying British Columbians feel like they're getting ripped off at the gas pump, and he said, they're right. This report shows that they're getting ripped off. Now, let's look carefully at what this report said, though. It said that there was no evidence of collusion, stress the word evidence, no evidence of cartel activity, as they put it. But he also very interestingly said the prices appear appear to be choreographed. So it's it's almost like on the one hand he's saying that there's no evidence that there's price fixing going on, but it kind of looks like there's price fixing going on, and maybe there is. So a very interesting report, and it creates pressure on Horgan now to actually do something about it. And we're we're entering into a period of about a month now where all the parties are allowed to take a look at this report and comment back. But I think it clearly creates pressure on Horgan to do something. I mean, I think he set up expectations in the public that he was concerned about these gas prices, he was going to do something about it, he ordered a public inquiry. Now we have a report showing that Metro Vancouver drivers are paying too much for their gas. Okay, Premier Horgan, what are you going to do about that? So we'll see what he does. Maybe he, has to, maybe he steps in here, Jill, and regulates gas prices in B.C., uh, something that he had appeared to be hesitant to do before, but maybe he has to do it now. Is it possible, do you think, because there were such restrictions on this inquiry, what they could look at, and the, the, the one that sticks out being they couldn't look at taxes or any impact taxes might have, that that might have explained the 13 cents and that's why we don't know? I don't think so. I mean, the, the report has said that, no, they, they sort of took that into consideration. They, they could not look directly at the impact of government policy and taxation on the price of the, the overall price of gasoline, but it said that they did they did calculate they used that as a as a variable to to calculate 
these apparent differences in prices. And so in addition to taxes, you've also got British Columbia's low carbon fuel standard in which the government mandates that gasoline sold here in BC has to have less carbon intensity in it. So it produces fewer greenhouse gas emissions and it burns cleaner and that costs more. So it costs more to produce this low carbon gasoline that's required by the government. There is a dispute about how much it costs more. Uh, this report talked about, well, maybe it costs, uh, it adds about four cents a liter to the price of gas. There have been some industry analysts that said, no, it costs more than that. It costs up to 15 cents more a liter. So there's some dispute about exactly how much uh, extra this low carbon fuel standard adds to the price of gas. And you have some industry people saying, well, there's your explanation right there. Well, you know, maybe we can argue back and forth about that. But I think at the end of the day, what I find interesting is what is Horgan going to do here now? I mean, because I think he set up this expectation he's going to do something. If you go back to uh, his, his days in opposition, um, all the way back to 2007, he was a, a rookie MLA in the legislature. He actually brought in a private member's bill to regulate gas prices. And, and the way that would work is the government would set basically a ceiling, like a maximum price that could be charged and based on variables and inputs and, and calculations and what would be a fair price and you couldn't charge more than that and this is done in some other provinces horgan actually brought in a private members bill to do that in 2007 he said earlier this year that well i've learned now that that really wouldn't do much and it really wouldn't reduce the price of gas that much it would just put a cap on on the maximum price so you know maybe it's not such a great idea now but I wonder if the government's going to go back and, and, and examine that again and maybe do exactly what Horgan was thinking about doing 10 years ago, and that is the government steps in here to regulate gas prices. That's kind of what I took away from it yesterday, that they, they seem to be looking at that. Maybe they're going to go there. Hmm. Because what would, yeah. yeah, because if he, we go through this whole process and we now have these findings and we know a little bit more about this, but still have so many questions, does yeah. it seem like they have to do something? I think so, because, you know, one of the things that I, I interviewed um, Ralston on this yesterday and said, well, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to cut taxes? Oh, no, 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 no. We're not going to cut taxes. Are you kidding? He said that the government's theory on that is if they cut taxes on gasoline, that uh, you wouldn't get cheaper gasoline. He said the, basically the oil companies would continue to rip people off and they would just pocket the extra profits and they wouldn't pass the savings on to uh, consumers. I, I'm not so sure about that. I, I, I personally think if you reduce taxes, we'd pay less money for you gasoline. You know, <laughs> ipso facto. I mean, <laughs> you know, but they, they just don't do not want to cut taxes for because they need the revenue and certainly they're not they do not want to reduce the carbon tax because of concerns over their government's uh, climate change plans and so they're not going to cut taxes that's for sure it seems to me the only the only real concrete measure they've got left is to step in and regulate gas prices which which are done in some other provinces notably in new brunswick quebec um, and it doesn't, but it doesn't really have a super major impact on the price of gas to the consumer at the end. I mean, you're not going to see dramatically lower gas prices with government regulation. However, I think that government might step in and do it. And then you get into the politics of it. What would the BC Liberal Party say then? Would the Liberals oppose that? You know, would the Liberals turn around and say, no, the government should not be monkeying in this uh, 
this this gasoline market. And I, I'm certain that if the government did do it, they would they would like to see the Liberals oppose it. Mm. And then Horgan could stand up and say, I'm fighting for the consumer here and gas prices, and these Liberals are in bed with these oil companies. So, you know, that's the kind of the political... Um, kind of narrative that might that might unfold here. And you mentioned, too, in the report found that there isn't collusion with the companies, which I think surprised people a little bit in that. How do they know then to magically all have the same price and the gas goes up and down the exact same amount every day? Yeah, they said no evidence of collusion. So they're saying we we can't prove it, but you never know. Basically, basically, you're kind of having it both ways. They were saying there's no evidence of collusion, but it looks suspicious. So there was one line that jumped out yesterday where they said the price appears maybe choreographed, which when you think about it is similar to saying that there's collusion. I mean, choreographed means, you know, you got two dance partners working together here in a, uh, yeah. uh, in a planned and a planned dance here, which to me is same thing as kind of working together, price fixing, collusion. So it's almost like there's no evidence of it, but it kind of looks like it. Um, So, you know, the government appeared happy with this report yesterday, and we'll see what they do with it. I I got a feeling that uh, gasoline price regulation could be coming to B.C. That was my gut takeaway from it yesterday. Um, What kind of timeline do you think? Well, there's a one-month commentary period here after this report. So that takes us into September. We got the legislature coming back in October. Um, yeah, I think it'd be pretty pretty quick to have the government moving very quickly here in the fall. So uh, difficult to say. Uh, I think it'd be a diff- I think it'd be a complex thing to set up. So I don't think they'd want to move very quickly. And, and in fact, there is some cautionary notes in this report yesterday that these are complex issues, and the government should move carefully and thoughtfully. And I think certainly the government will. It will take that to mind and not move rashly, but certainly it does present an opportunity for some kind of government intervention here. All right. So we'll see what the next move is for sure. Mike, thank you so much. Good to chat with you again. Anytime, Jill. Well, as you've been hearing in the news, more protests in Hong Kong and more clashes with police as well. Protesters took to the streets, ignoring a police ban against the march to mark the fifth anniversary of China's decision against fully democratic elections in Hong Kong. A large crowd of protesters wearing helmets and gas masks gathered outside the city government building. Police fired tear gas from the other side of the barriers, then brought out a water cannon truck that fired regular water and then coloured water at the protesters, staining them and nearby journalists. Businessman Jimmy Lei said Hong Kong citizens had to keep fighting for their rights. The Hong Kong situation is getting tense here, but we have to go on. I'm Karen Chemas. Let's bring in Swana Laka of the Vancouver Society in support of democratic movement. And she's on the line with us now. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, What is your take on on the latest, what we just heard as far as the continued protests and clashes in Hong Kong? Mm, I think it is the um, continued protest to show that uh, Hong Kong people is still persistent in their fight for democracy and freedom, Um, even though... uh, in the in the light of the recent uh, mass arrest by the government for the political leaders, um, even though uh, today's uh, 
protest is supposed to be banned, but still pockets of uh, resistance are still out uh, uh, doing what they want to do, which is to uh, tell the government of Hong Kong that uh, they want freedom and they want uh, to have a independent inquiry into the police brutality and universal suffrage. Do you think the arrests of the two high-profile activists, Agnes Chow and Joshua Wong, did that change things in any way? Um, this is what uh, the uh, what we call the white terror, which is the usual tactics of uh, any uh, oppressive regime. But uh, I don't think it will work this time because, as you know, those uh, those are not the leaders of this uh, demonstration. Um, in fact, after the umbrella movement, Hong Kong people have learned the way to organize protests in large scale and in small scale, which isn't like a uh, guerrilla warfare. So. They, they are courageous and um, they're resilient. Uh, I do not think this kind of tactic will work this time. Right, because we, we saw their arrest. And like you said, they're not leaders of this group. They are, they are activists that were very much part of the protest or, or perhaps student leaders in part of this protest, or they've been leaders in the past. Uh, 28 people in, in total were arrested. Uh, mm. mo- uh, I know uh, the two we were talking about were released on bail. Uh, how does that or does that change how people are, are responding or how people are taking part in these protests? Mm. I think um, it has, in a, in a certain way, it actually escalates the intensity of the protest because those people are actually not very much involved. Uh, they are not on the front line and somehow they're being targeted and uh, they're being punished. So I believe the people of Hong Kong understand and see that this is another injustice that's imposed on them. So I think they will still come out and... As far as I as far as I can see, that uh, there will be no end to uh, this kind of protest if there is no meaningful dialogue that is uh, going uh, that is happening between the uh, the protesters and and the government. So far, we haven't got any meaningful dialogue. Uh, no, and there's been a lot of talk of uh, the proposal from the leader in Hong Kong, uh, Carrie Lam, her proposal to withdraw the extradition bill. Uh, that clearly is not going to be happening uh, anytime soon. Uh, if that was to happen, though, or there was some meaningful movement there, would that be enough to stop the protests? I think uh, as of now, the most important concern, major concern of the protester is to establish a independent investigation, independent commission to investigate um, the police uh, behavior, the cruelty and the brutality. Uh, A lot of people were injured, uh, some seriously. And uh, this uh, problem has to be addressed before any meaningful dialogue can take place. Um, I I think this is all Carrie Lam said about withdrawing, and uh, she did not say it is is a total withdrawal. The total withdrawal is what the people want as well. And what does that say as well? And you mentioned the people that were injured, and we're hearing more reports of that now, of injuries, of assaults that are taking place. The fact that even with that happening, we're still seeing people coming out, uh, even uh, with all of that, and with the government saying the protests have been banned, people ignoring that, and still uh, determining that it's so important that they are continuing to come out and to put themselves at risk. Mm, I think uh, this time uh, this is different from five years ago in the umbrella movement. This time, um, people, the Hong Kong people, is 
very determined. They believe that uh, this is the way to go. They have to persist in order to gain any concession from the government. If they stop this time, um, there will never be another time that uh, this kind of movement is supported by so many people. Um, Imagine uh, Hong Kong has only 7.5 million people. And uh, we have demonstration protests of 1 million, 2 million, 1.7 million. It's one out of four in in the population that support this movement. Um, so the protesters believe that if they back down this time, there won't be another time. So that's why they persist on. Hmm. And what do you think is the main thing that's different today compared to five years ago? Mm. As I've said before, they learned the lesson. Five years ago, it was called a Occupy Central with peace and love. So this is a kind of, that was a civil disobedient activity. Um, people just sit there and um, they use very, very peaceful means. Whereas this time, the, the, the protesters are more flexible. If in the event that they encounter some kind of a uh, brutality or physical force, uh, from the police, they will fight back. They will protect themselves. And they will not let themselves to be arrested so easily. So uh, they want to preserve the strength. And they want, but at the same time, they want to continue to have the support of the population. So I would say that this time they are more wise and um, they're more flexible. And uh, talk a bit, if you can, about uh, support around the world and support when it comes to rallies in other uh, places. And is there one still happening today uh, in Vancouver? Oh, yes, there is. There is one that's happening this afternoon uh, outside of Vancouver Public Library. Um, This is the rally that we planned a week ago. It is a coordinated function uh, by 36 cities all over the world. We have four in Canada, uh, we have Vancouver, Calgary, Toronto, and Halifax. We will uh, be holding this kind of rally um, from now on. And we only have one goal on this rally, which is to show our solidarity with the people of Hong Kong. And do you have any idea how many people uh, you're expecting at the rally today in Vancouver? Um, last, Our last gathering draw about 1,600 people. So this time, um, we do not have an estimate, but I would say at least uh, 800, probably. All right. That, that's our estimate, yeah. It's a good-sized crowd, for sure. Is there any concern with people rallying in other cities, uh, like the ones happening across Canada today or the other 35 cities? Is there concern on the part of any of those protesters that if they still have family in Hong Kong, that they would be in danger? Mm, I think uh, people take part in this um, kind of protest uh, in Canada to exercise our right of uh, expression, freedom of expression. Um, Individual would determine, would decide whether or not they would participate. Or um, if they do have certain concern, they may try to hide uh, or... I cannot say hi. They would try to take caution in in uh, participating in those process, in those uh, protests. So um, yes, I believe that some do have concern, and even with those, we will still come out. And we've seen in in some of the other rallies in Vancouver, uh, uh, people coming out in support of uh, China. Are you expecting that could happen today? Um, yes, we did expect. Uh, 
some of we do expect some of those to come what we call counter protests to come out, but we haven't heard any uh, information uh, about uh, they're coming out today or not. Nevertheless, we are prepared. Um, we have informed the authorities that uh, we are going to do our protest and we expect the authorities to protect us um, in this. Um, I think the authorities have also uh, launched the way to protect us or to separate the counter-protest and the protesters so that uh, we can, or both groups, can be safely exercise our freedom of expression. All right. Uh, What time is the protest in Vancouver today? Uh, Two to three. All right. 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. All right. Well, Swana, we'll leave it there. And uh, I know there will be a, a big turnout this afternoon. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you so much.